0: Hi, how are you? Hope all
1: is well. Um, le- we'll wait a, f- a few minutes and then uh, I'll introduce you to everyone, and then we'll you- the stage is yours. Um, it's like f- around five minutes, then the room will sure. start. Okay. Hey, everyone in the audience so far. Um, we'll wait like two more minutes and then we will start the room. Um, thank you. And whoever wants to come up and ask questions later on, please raise your hand and uh, we'll have our interactive uh, discussion. Thank you. Thank you, Guta, for letting me know. I heard my sound was very low, so (laughs) I hope it's better now. I hope you can hear me now. Thank you. Okay, um, thanks for coming and um, welcome to the Science Society. Um, I just um, wanted to thank everyone and uh, especially a special thanks to um, Dr. Sharon Schwartz, um, who um, gave, uh, offered to uh, give a talk about his very interesting and um, important research. Um, so, yeah, let me introduce you to Dr. Schwartz. He is um, a physicist and a senior lecturer in the physics department at the University in Ramanga. He is primarily interested in quantum optics by photon generation manipulation and the theory of nonlinear phenomena. Um, and um, he received his PhD from the Technion Israel Institute of Technology under the supervision of Do- Dr. Mordecai His thesis nonlinear optics in CZT um, um, researched new effects in a family of cubic nonlinear crystals. Um, This led to the profound discovery that under certain conditions of light illumination and applied electric fields, a class of material, cubic crystals, uh, becomes highly polar and greatly modifies its properties. Before his PhD research, Sharon received a Bachelor of Science from the Technion and he the technion um, institute awarded him the applied materials fellowship as well as the miriam and Aaron goodworth fellowship for his exceptional achievements in addition to this prestigious award sharon is the recipient of the technion award for excellence in teaching and recognition of his work as a a teaching assistant he spent um as a, a postdoc um his postdoc time at the Stanford University in the lab of Professor Stephen Harris. And he has a lot of publications and very prestigious journals, such as Applied Physics um, Letters, Physical Reviews Letters, Nature, Optics and Optic Express. So, yeah, this is very impressive and um, Thank you so much for being here Um, for us and it's morning and for the West Coast, it's very early. So our members that um, are more from that side of the world are excited to hear the recording later. So thank you so much and the stage is yours.
2: Great, thank you so much for the very kind introduction and for uh, having me. Uh, this is a very uh, good opportunity and I'm very glad that I can uh, share my research with you. And so I, I'll try to explain and give you some background and then of course, everything will be open for an open discussion. Uh, so um, yeah, all right, so so let's begin. Maybe I sh- start with saying that uh, the work that uh, actually I was invited uh, to speak about is, 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 is a part of a bigger project that we have And this project, uh, the goal of this project is to try to use uh, a technique that is uh, widely used for uh, different type of uh, imaging processes, uh, mainly uh, what started with visible light, but now we try to to extend it into x-rays. And we think that x-rays could benefit a lot uh, from this type of technique. Uh, because imaging is a very challenging task with X, when I'll explain what I mean by, by saying this is a, a very difficult task. So the, the technique is, uh, that I'm going to talk about is uh, basically called uh, computational imaging, which is part of the title of this work. Um, and the idea of uh, computational imaging is, is essentially is to use Computational methods, right? Uh, it use computer assistant uh, uh, method uh, to do that, uh, to do imaging, um, and well, what, what, what one of the so the idea here usually okay. Let's let's start from the very beginning. What what we usually do, and everybody almost nowadays uh, basically use a, a camera. I mean, you have in, in your cell phone or any other. I mean, uh, that you want to take a photo of something, either of your friends or yourself or some. Um, a mountain that you want to take a picture of, uh, so you do it very easily. You can do it. You do it almost naturally without paying even attention to that. You just taking your cell phone, you're aiming at your target that you want to take a picture and take a picture. But what's really happening there when you take a picture. So when you take a picture, uh, the light that is either scattered or transmitted depends depend on the, on the, on the, on the, on on the configuration. Uh, so if you usually take a photo from your friend, so usually the light hits at your friend's face, and then goes to your, uh, the optics of your camera, and then eventually it hits a detector. And this detector is made usually of pixels. And what the pixel, the role of the pixel is, is basically to translate the, the distribution of the light that is related to the object uh, into an image. Okay, that's basically, and, and so the, the distribution of the, the, the intensity is, uh, will be a map into a, basically a map, which we call an image. Uh, and this reflects the object, right? But in between, you have the optics, and the optics mainly contains uh, lenses and maybe other uh, optical components but then lenses. And with visible, that's very easy. Uh, you can uh, you can uh, do imaging of very small object on very big objects if uh, that's that's actually very easy and people make it for many years now uh, very good lenses but if you take it into x-ray this has become very difficult task to to use uh, lenses uh, from very for various reasons uh, but uh, and actually they're not just technical they're also really uh, really fundamental so uh, the this action of taking one point of your object and, and and transform it into one point on your detector, it's extremely difficult to do uh, with X rays, and and that's basically the whole thing about the motivation of using computational imaging, and to replace all this object, what we do, we replace all this object optics with uh, a most of basic state scheme, uh, which I try to explain right now and on a second. Um, And we don't basically we don't need lenses. Okay, that's, that's basically what we do. Uh, So if you, for instance, you just look at this image, nice image that I see now on this app, uh, this is kind of a try to, uh, it's an example of one of the uh, of the mask that we use. So what we do, we take a mask it is basically the mask is a it could be usually it's a mask that uh, as you can see here there are some area along this mask dark area and white areas uh, so basically we have a pattern and this pattern is imprinted into the uh, in, into the beam that later will um Uh, Radiate your sample. So instead of taking usually, usually what you do, you take a uniform beam, and then you take the and and then you put behind your sample, you put a detector with pixels. What we do, we place a pixel. We don't put a pixel. What we do is uh, we take a single pixel detector. So means that we take a pixel, one pixel, a detector that collects that collects the entire radiation without any ability to distinguish where it's exactly arrived from but instead we put the mask just before the object and That intensity at the detector will be uh, just uh, uh, Proportional to both to the transmission of the mask and to the transmission of your object and What we do basically we correlate between uh, the pattern of the mask to the pattern of the object and from this uh, by what we really need to do is to uh, uh, move the mask, as you can see here, uh, we move the mask, and we usually do it repeat this process for many, many process, for many, many different patterns. And eventually, uh, we kind of given a score. So if the, pattern, if the pattern of the mask agree, I mean, it's really correlated to the pattern of the object, you get a really high score, mean high intensity at the detector. If the correlation is poor, you get low intensity at the detector. So eventually, you can use it and make it some uh, computational algorithm. Uh, that you can uh, recover uh, your object from this uh, kind of an exercise. Okay, that's basically and these people call it a computational method uh, since you really rely on computational schemes uh, and eventually where you can recover uh, basically the uh, your image by doing doing this way and without any any lenses at all and without the need of a pixelated detector. Okay, so this is uh, something we've been doing for a couple of years now and Uh, We realize we have some advantage of this. Uh, And one of the advantage of this method is uh, related to the other thing, which is really computational, is what's called a compressive uh, sensing and or compressive imaging. So compressive imaging is really something that's related uh, to uh, compressive storage. When you want to save the amount of data, you you want to uh, use a zip file or you want to use uh, kind of uh, you want to save a memory if you have on your computer when you take already taken after you take it took the picture and now you okay you have an image you have a file that contains now you want to make it a smaller file just inter, just to take save memory and the the way you do it right I mean if you think about your uh, cell phone camera it contains many many pixels because why because you need the high resolution because you don't know exactly where the variation of the intensity of your image will be really sharp and where it's going to be uh, not sharp. For example, just think about about a field with a tree and maybe there are also some skies around it, right? So very near the tree, of course, uh, there will be the the image, no, the, the variation in the image are very sharp, right? Because there is something in the happening there. Uh, the field turns into the root or then uh, to the leaves and all the details of the, of the tree. But if you look just on one spot of the sky, it's not very different from a different spot on the sky. But when you design your camera, you need to make the, the number of pixels. And now the number of pixels is getting to something like, you know, maybe uh, 15 or maybe 20 million, uh, million uh, pixels nowadays. Uh, really, really use many, many pixels. And the reason you're using so many pixels, because you don't know exactly uh, which event, will do care exactly what position of your uh, image. But once the image has, you know, is, is already taken, and you want to save it, now you don't really need all this type of information, because some of the pixels you know, carry information, and some of the pixels actually carry the same information as the pixel around them, okay? So maybe it's not so important, and you can recover the, uh, the image without them. Okay, so that's what you do, and that's why you have, uh, if you use uh, JPEG formats, for instance, uh, you, you will find out that the memory size that you use, those type of uh, f- uh, format uh, is much reduced with compared to the original uh, format that you use. So the idea of compressive uh, imaging is very similar. We're using kind of a, uh, these patterns of this mask, which have kind of random. And then uh, what we know, again, we know that we don't really need that much, that many uh, number of uh, patterns, but we scan randomly, and we're using a similar type of algorithm, and nowadays we also, not just we, but also other groups, also uh, use artificial intelligence to make it even more sophisticated and and, and maybe more efficient, okay? So that's the idea. And we're going to use it the same, the same thing we're going to use for the second part of my talk that I'm going to speak about uh, this, how we're going to use it uh, for the chemical element mapping. So this is one part of the, uh, of the talk. Now let's switch to the, um, let's switch to the chemical mapping. And what is chemical mapping and what is it about? So, um, and why it's important. Okay, so uh, chemical mapping is, it's all about is to identify what exactly uh, type of atoms you have in your material. Think about a compound or a mixture of different type of atoms that you want to to use. For instance, if you, uh, you have a factory that produces uh, uh, stainless steel, you want to make sure that your uh, material is really uniform across the entire material. Different portions of the material be the same and the way one way to do that is to take uh, just an image that is not just an image, but it also can provide you the spatial distribution of your atoms. And then, if it's uniform, then you know uh, that you, the material, the compound that you need is 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 uniform. That's 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 basically uh, one example of uh, of the use of this uh, chemical uh, mapping. And it's uh, actually it's, it's it's quite used in many many other fields. Uh, which is kind of interesting. It is starting from uh, uh, fundamental science. Uh, so if you want to uh, understand the many things that happening uh, with material science, uh, batteries, if you want to check the quality of batteries and there are several types of other fun uh, areas such as even uh, uh, cultural heritage in the what they do there. For instance, uh, if you want, for instance, if you want, if you have, or if you have if you are a museum or in uh, your museum you have uh, an old an old paint uh, you know that was made from uh, a different pipe different type of uh, of materials and nobody really knows because it's kind of uh, you know it's maybe 500 or six or 400 years old and they use along the years a different type of material for for paint um, Basically, the, the paint were made from different type of uh, chemical elements and you don't want and if it was damaged and you want to repair it So what you would do in, in a sense you have really need to know exactly what are the type of the chemicals that actually made uh, the made this paint was made of because otherwise you may try to use a more modern paint and And, and then you can maybe can introduce some chemical reaction. that actually will destroy uh, the, the the paint that you want to repair so what they do they really go there and do the these uh, chemical mapping and you find exactly the chemical components and everything and then you know exactly uh what kind of material they use and what type of uh, uh, exactly uh, atoms it was used to prevent uh, from uh, preventing damage but there is many many others archaeology and now in so um also for forensic science means uh, trying to uh uh, to to find the fingerprint, the chemical fingerprints of of uh, uh, criminals. This also uh, uh, something that people use, uh, but many many uh, things like that. Okay, so how does it work? Okay, um, it's actually rather simple, and. So if you think about that so you shine what you do well the other other type of uh, weather to do that but with the x-rays and that's the big advantage of x-rays is that x-rays interact mainly with the uh, electrons that are really close to the uh, to the nucleus of the atom. they're very deep deep electrons and mean by interaction with them they actually they when they heat they, they and they are the X-ray absorb, they kick out an electron from the input uh, level of the electron. They just kick it out from this uh, atom. The process that we call ionization. Okay, that's why we call S- X-ray are considered to be ionizing radiation. Okay, so this is an advantage because if you think about a molecule, then in the in the process of creating the molecule or uh, well, create, basically creating the molecule and sharing the molecule is the the only the auto share are involved the core electrons the deep they are really close to the nuclei they are really tightly uh tightly connected to the nuclei so i not really cannot share the electrons the inner electron the inner shell electron cannot be shared between uh, the different atoms that um, comprises the, the 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 form the molecule so the outer shell of molecule, of course of course sorry the outer shell electrons of course have a lot of advantages they are very interesting but they do not preserve uh the the properties of the atom since they are involved in the molecule and they are more, mostly influenced by the other other atoms that uh, you know shared in the same in the same molecule so if you want to find what is the atoms that you know this material is made of you must look at the core Electron, the one which are not participating in, you know, forming the molecule because that's what you want. Okay. So, and, and, and that's what you do. So you shine it with an X-ray and the X-ray uh, has a unique signature of uh, the fluorescence. The fluorescence process is, again, as we you shine it, you radiate it with an X-ray, the atom, uh, and it kicks out uh, an electron and uh, another electron from another shell, now take the place of the electron that was kicked. And, and since it's usually coming from a, an upper level, it goes down to the deeper level. And in this process, uh, when the electron takes the position of the electron that we just kicked out from the uh, from the atoms, uh, it uh, radiates, the atom, the atom radiates, and this is called fluorescence. Now, what's special about this with extra fluorescence is that the unique signature of uh, this fluorescence. so in other words any material, any atom will have a different type of uh, emission lines which we can detect by looking at different the photon energy of the wavelength, which is the same thing of course and we do that by using uh, detectors which are sensitive uh, to the photon uh, energy that is emitted. Uh, from 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 the atom, so we can identify that, not just we. Uh, this is a known process uh, and, and, and widely used. And that's why uh, X-rays fluorescence uh, can be used uh, to identify the chemical elements in the material. And of course, if you want to get the, the spatial distribution. This is not enough. You need to get the spatial distribution. So in most cases, what people have done uh, before our work, uh, they actually try to focus the beam. Uh, so what they did they just focus the beam to relatively small spot and put the detector. So every time you just illuminate a small portion of your sample and you just uh, record uh, the fluorescent data from this uh, from this area and then you scan with uh, you usually scan the sample. So every time you illuminate a different uh, small portion and eventually uh, what you do just compare between the different uh, illumin- different radiation from the different spot and eventually you can reconstruct your uh, map. The problem with this uh, process is first of all is it's relatively slow because you really have to go a point by point. This is one thing. And the other thing is that it's not so easy to use uh, even to focus with x-rays it's not so easy when you go to higher photon energies. Uh, or well shorter wavelength, which again is the same thing. Uh, since it's very difficult, uh, it's become a very difficult uh, task to focus. So that's become very, very difficult. And what can you gain by going through very high photon energy is basically looking at um, uh, basically heavier elements, uh, the the heavier the elements, the higher photon energy you need to go in order to uh, to look at its f- fluorescence. Okay, that's basically it. So, you know, if you think about heavy elements, I'm not talking about uh, those uh, very rare radioactive materials, but also gold is very uh, is very um, is very uh, very. Uh, basically very heavy, uh, in some sense, also iodine, which is a material people use for many, many different things. Also, is not, it's relatively heavy and not so easy to measure uh, with uh, conventional methods and many, many others. So it's not something very rare. It's kind of a, a, a big challenge uh, for, for this type of thing. Okay, so basically what we have done in this work was to combine with these two, uh, these two different fields. One of them is computational imaging with single pixel detectors and the other one is uh, X-ray fluorescence. So we replace the, usually the, uh, well, I now detector. what they do. We collect, instead of collecting the transmitted uh, radiation through the objects, we collect the fluorescent data and we repeat the same process I just told you at the beginning of my talk about this computational method. And we collect the data and uh, we can do now we can reconstruct the image for uh, each one of the emission lines and from that we can identify the atoms and from that we can basically eventually construct uh, the, the chemical map. Now, the main advantage of this method I think is it's much faster. It does not it does not require uh, with, with respect to a more conventional method for uh, chemical element mapping, it does not requ- require any lens and to make it much easier to implement and much cheaper. You know, uh, a typical X-ray lens can cost uh, several thousands of dollars. And the mask that we use in our case was a sandpaper just for the comparison, uh, which probably, you know, you can get as many as you want for uh, a few bucks, right? I mean, uh, okay, maybe some other cases you need and maybe a more sophisticated mask, but it's, again, most of the masks we can get, uh, you can buy for maybe tens of dollars or something like that. So it's much cheaper, much faster, and in principle, no problem. You know, in our case, we were measuring up to something like uh, a twenty kilo electron volt, and usually you want to go maybe to double or three times more than that. There's no, there's no basically no fundamental limit uh, in contrast to to use of, of lenses. So that's basically the 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 big thing. I think about that. It's really opening now new opportunities uh, for different fields, as I said, to look for much higher, um, much heavier elements. It also opened new opportunity to use uh, three three-dimensional because the penetration depth of x-rays, if you increase the photon energy, become larger. And for uh, for three-dimensional imaging, what you need is really uh, to, to go inside uh, of your material as much as possible. So with our method is basically possible. And that's actually something we have already started working on, uh, try to extend these two, two-dimensional methods into three-dimensional to get something like computational tomography uh, of object by using this type of uh, effect or basically method. And I think that's more or less what I would like to tell you about here without getting in much too much into detail. But uh, yeah, I think it's uh, I would like uh, very happy to get any uh, any question from your side.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. Um, that was uh, very informative. Um, yeah. If anyone has questions, please go ahead. Um, Eric, uh, do you have a question? Okay, maybe he's um he's not um he can't speak right now. Um yeah this is um really amazing. do you have um already applications for this technology like what what do you think is the first application you want to go to
2: so there, there are several directions here uh so uh some of them already you know uh extra fluorescence is actually heavily used in many industry, uh, industries, industries uh, starting from petroleum industry to identify exactly what the ingredients, you know, what the compounds exactly what you get from the oil, uh, but that's of course we can do it much faster than the conventional methods. Uh, we uh, some some idea that we had is uh, trying to. Take this into more things like medical imaging because medical imaging is really something that people do at much higher photon energy than conventional uh, X-ray f- uh, fluorescence method. Uh, so, what one one typical what one one idea that you know we trying to uh, implement. I don't know. Uh, well, it's too early to say whether we're going to be um, successful with that. But uh, so if you you know. Uh, one day, one thing that people already have been doing uh, with uh, mainly with computational uh, tomography with CT, um, if you want to identify a cancerous tumor, for instance, uh, it's a very difficult challenge because uh, if you look just on a plain X-ray absorption, the difference in the absorption between a cancerous cell and a uh, normal cells would be very very uh, small, and that's very difficult. So what people do nowadays, they add something they call contrast agents. So contrast agents are just material that absorb more x ray than other material and they tend to be more in the cancerous uh, cells or the tumors. And, uh, and this way, uh, people can uh, increase the contrast of the image and that is make it easier to distinguish between what is cancerous and what is not cancerous. Now, if you take a, a, so, and, but, but still, it's still a difficult task because even with the, the contrast agent like iodine, that actually is very popular for many, many type uh, different type of cancers, um, it still you it's still they still measure the absorption difference, and uh, the contrast is still low. So you actually sometimes miss, uh, you know, situation where you could say that uh, this patient had uh, cancer, but you still miss it. And with here, if you look at fluorescence, instead of looking at at uh, absorption and we can actually use the same material so we can use you know the iodine for instance but instead of looking at the transmission of the iodine or absorption of the iodine we can look at the fluorescence of the iodine so you know, the fluorescence of the iodine the the, the contrast would be huge because uh, there's no you know if the the, the the main problem is that usually you look at the, you know in the body of the patient, so there are many, many organs, right? I mean, so the cancerous organ is very, very small portion. Uh, so uh, the absorption is is, is kind of, a, you know, the total absorption. We want to, to see, to distinguish between two different, uh, you know, tumors that uh, that actually embedded in some much larger body, which contribute also with many, many scattering mechanisms and, and absorption. And with here, uh, well, if you, if you can inject uh, this contrast agent only only to the cells the consider cells uh and the, only them will will basically radiate then your contrast will be huge um so that's you know that's i think that's something that we could be very interesting to do
1: so i also understand that your method is uh, way faster which you know for um for brain imaging is, is quite important so would would you be able to um perform brain imaging with this technique does it um go through the skull basically
2: well yeah well we need to work out the details but basically yes because uh, we can work at wavelength that actually will that will penetrate through the skull uh the yeah well the thing is that the fluorescent that emits the the material that will emit the fluorescence uh should be also should also be um something that design uh, uh to be able to know to penetrate the skull uh there are several ideas probably not iodine but uh something maybe like you know gold is a good uh, uh people caught you know already trying to use gold nanoparticle for many type of imaging but that's something that uh, maybe something we can consider but maybe the answer is maybe
1: yeah interesting and um yeah also i was thinking um that would you be able to so you would be able basically to see cancers at a very early stage uh, because your imaging is uh, way more detailed um so um that's um you know, that would be a really great breakthrough, I think.
2: Yeah, I hope so.
1: And I read in the in the, in the article about your research that um this would also be um really important for um scanning methods for art. Um how how is that so? I don't know if you if you uh, considered that too or um, or would it be more for a dating from when an art piece or historical
2: piece is from? Yeah, well, you know, uh, maybe, yeah, it's, it's, I think maybe, <laughs> I mean, uh, all the options you mentioned are possible. Uh, you know, this is a very early stage. I mean, you know, it's the, we just introduced the method. uh, we really need to uh try it and to really understand you know because any new method had, has has limitations right um uh, you know I, I would like to be optimistic at this point and i hope uh, you know there's a, a great potential uh but let's see
3: Go ahead. Hi, thank you, Katrina, for doing this room, and thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity to uh, come on the stage. Uh, thank you, uh, Sharon, for for the uh, for being here. Um, so, how I just try to I just read the abstract, so I'm trying to get a grasp of uh, the application. So, how will this technique or this new advance be useful in? Uh, improving the resolution of uh, structures molecular structures for example a viral particle or molecular machine like the ribosome or the uh, atp synthase or any of those smaller molecules thank you
2: okay so thank you for your question uh so right now uh okay so in principle with when you think about x-ray fluorescence uh the spatial resolution is limited by the ability to focus the beam. Uh, if you can focus it really small, you can see very small uh, objects like uh, maybe uh, well, well. Nobody think well. No, it, it depends. Well, let's talk about sizes, right? I mean, so uh, a, sm- a single molecule is is probably very difficult to see because it's that is really you need to um, you know to get a very, very small, uh, re- well, very high resolution. Uh, uh, so even with focusing, that's not really possible. Uh, in our methods, uh, what we try to, what the hope right now is to get to resolution of about maybe a 10th of a micrometer. So everything that you know you can think about in this regime, uh, any object with this uh, that require a resolution of that kind, uh, we probably can do, uh, that's kind of the hope. I. Don't think we, well. It's very going to be very challenging with this type of method uh, to do uh, much higher resolutions. Um, but even that, you know, it's a really, really a big achievement. This is the other advantage of our method because you know conventional methods uh, just rely on your focusing capability. In our cases, we can do much better than the focusing capabilities. Um, so, I, yeah, I mean, I hope I answer. I, I, I'm answering your question, but. Uh, that's basically the limitation. Uh, in terms of concentration, uh, that's something we don't know. This depends on the sensitivity, and we, you know, we we still need to to, to test this.
3: Yeah, thank you. Uh, so, to rephrase my question, uh, what my understanding of on your of your answer is that it does have its limitations. So, in that case, why? Let me rephrase my question. What, we, what would be the most uh, useful application of uh, this advance in, in which particular uh, context?
2: Right. So, uh, well, the most, I don't know the most, right? I mean, it's very difficult and have to be careful with, with, with the most. Um, I think that the really opening of three dimensional uh, fluorescence type imaging, of chemical imaging, uh, right now is a really bottleneck for many industries. Uh, uh, even, you know, even try to uh, monitor many processes, you know, of fabrication and, and, and uh, the production of uh, different type of compounds, uh, That's that could be a, a big issue for, you know, for industry. Uh, medical imaging, we really can do what we want to do uh, to make it more sensitive to different type of uh, uh, health problems. That uh, that's would be another, uh, I think, big step. Uh, probably these are the two that I have right now in my mind, but you know, if you ask me in a year or something, maybe we'll find something more, or who knows? Um,
1: yeah, go ahead. Um, Imran and uh, Lauren.
4: Yeah, sure, I'll just go ahead. Um, thanks, Katerina. Yeah,
3: sure, sure, right. All right.
4: Um, hi, hi, Sharon. Um, I, I do have a question that is connected to the previous question in terms of the applicability um, of this um, fluorescent mapping. Now, I know that typically um, chemical and, and elemental mapping, um, they normally use very advanced analytical tools You know to characterize those contents um, especially if you're looking at a sample or a product and you want to get the proper characterization i i i do have um in terms of the fluorescent mapping i i do have i do have some concerns associated with the applicability um, especially in the engineering industry but i want to get an understanding Based on your technical expertise of what some of those limitations are um, in the engineering industry, how d- do you think, like I do, that there are specific limitations in the engineering industry? I just would like to know your perspective on Dr. Schwartz.
2: You mean the limitation of, of our method or in general of the X ray fluorescence?
4: Um, well, I think with, with specific focus on the imaging fluorescence tool. Um, okay. because, because I think it should be very applicable in the engineering industry because we deal with a lot of composite materials. But I don't see it. I mean, I haven't necessarily seen technological developments in this field. And I'm trying to figure out why there hasn't been a push. In terms of advancing this level of mapping, you know, because like I like I even personally deal with a lot of composites, we've never seen the need for this level of imaging, and I probably would, would want to know why, from your perspective.
2: Right. Okay, so that's so okay, so I'm, I'm not an expert, you know, in, in industry, uh, industrial applications. Uh, of course, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm I'm professor at university. So, but Um, to my understanding and really, uh, right. Okay. So, um, it depends, right. I mean, it depends on the sensitivity. Well, the applicability of a method depends on, on, on the advantage of the, of the method. And in this case is probably, I guess, the sensitivity, um, and the, uh, the resolution, but also, I think you always have to, uh, consider also the price of the devices. Uh, These devices aren't cheap, Uh, you know, um, I think typical, well, uh, I don't have this one, but uh, from what I know, uh, what I heard, you know, we're talking about a machine that uh, costs $7,000, sorry, no. uh, I'm confusing myself. It's probably on the order of maybe twenty or thirty, uh, you know, thousand dollars. That's probably that's probably the, the the price of a machine of a simple machine, are more complicated machines. And of course, I guess in the industry, people just do this math of whether they really, you know, this will be going to improve, uh, well, the process or whatever they want to use. Uh, and if it, you know, it's eventually economical consideration, not just the the, the engineering advantage. Um, but you know, I you know, I know I'm aware of many industries that, that, that use it. I mean, that's uh, I guess, uh, not it's not profit not good for everyone. Uh, but if you're uh, I guess if your process is very expensive or if you really lose a lot of, uh, of your uh, you know, material because of the process, then probably you want to use something like that. But if it's something that Is probably the process is cheap, maybe, you know, just too expensive for that. Thank you, Dr. Schwartz.
4: Yeah. Imran? Right, may I have,
5: sorry. I didn't want to speak over anybody.
1: I do want to go ahead and ask, or?
5: Are you talking to me? Yes.
1: Do you want to ask a question? All oh,
5: right. Okay. Yes, yes. Yes. I've uh, read about your your tool and I'm deeply intrigued and in exploring new markets for it and also understanding uh, the medical background for this. I also read that you are as we speak actively involved in therapeutics as well. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong.
2: Okay. Can, can you can you just raise your voice because I couldn't hear you. Right. Is it any better? Yeah, much better.
5: <laughs> right. I was driving. so I, I, I can listen to myself very clearly with the air conditioning on and the windows closed. So I thought the whole world could hear me and I was so wrong. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, the thing is that um, I've read about um, Dr. Katarina's uh, tools and the fact that she's perhaps working on therapeutics as we speak. So I just wanted to understand that—is this so? Are, are you working in the direction of developing medications for mental health challenges? Is—is is that right?
1: Yes, I am. But um, today is um, is about uh, Dr. Schwartz's uh, research, not about mine so much. So. Right, I mean... right, 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 right. Okay, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah. thank you for your interest. I I appreciate it. Um, I wanted to ask. Um, Dr. Schwartz, um, do you think your technology is also something what could use for information technology, um, and communication?
2: Um, yep. Yeah. So I, I, thank you for this question. Uh, so people use similar ideas in communication. That's not something we invented. Uh, but there are similar ideas in communication. That's, that's right.
3: Oh,
5: well, since I'm driving, I'm, I'm sorry. Since I'm driving, I will not be able to open any links and read. Could you, could you briefly fill me in on Dr. Schwartz's research, if you don't mind?
1: To give a short summary, okay, Dr. Schwartz, do you want to give another um, very short summary, um, and then, yeah, if you want. but
2: okay. <laughs> so This is going to be very short. Okay. <laughs> all right. So, uh, yeah, just briefly. So the idea here is that you know it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a new well, it's a method uh, we develop a technology that what it can do it can do very fast uh, chemical uh, element mapping, which means uh, we can do uh, we can uh, tell you exactly uh, uh, which atoms, which types of atoms uh, you have it in 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 any area of your uh, of of an object. Uh, we do it with by using, uh, X-ray fluorescence and, uh, we developed uh, a method that makes this everything here, uh, all this method much more, f- much faster than, uh, uh, more conventional the peop- the uh, method that people use nowadays. And we, one of the advantage of our method that we don't use, uh, we don't need lenses like other methods and this, why we can, um, uh, extend the method to much uh, higher photon energies uh, to take it to, to open new applications such as three-dimensional imaging and um, And also medical imaging which is also uh, Something that people don't use uh, x-ray fluorescence for that uh, for this uh, type of application these days So, oh, I suppose so this suppose like is
5: exactly what I was thinking of from a medical imaging because I have a healthcare background So I used to work for a pharmaceutical and I have obviously I used to eat eat sleep drink medical science once upon a time i do think a little differently now but not entirely in opposition to medical science but in conjunction with i believe in like as as a scientist you would probably agree both of you that uh, the the object the object of life is to improve and you can only improve by learning and by applying logic and rationality and deductive and inductive analysis these these basically are that's it that that is how we can harness the mind to propel us to the next level so having said that, medical imaging, especially x-rays, so what, what you're saying is that, I mean, right now, x-rays are definitely not 3D, so they're, they're just one-dimensional. And for 3D, you end up using MRIs. CT scans, to some extent, one could, one could argue in, in, in their favor. Well MRIs perhaps more so but obviously MRIs and I I, I know this more so because I have to go through at least five four or five MRIs every year because I have a you know debilitating neck condition which is terrible so three four levels so obviously my doctors need to see what is happening to my discs in real time and 3d imaging is the best x-rays don't serve the purpose so I I would often discuss with radiologists at depth in, in depth that what could possibly be there, like, you know, in terms of perhaps more narrowed imaging, in terms of different um, levels, applying different levels of energy and contrast into the X-ray to get it. But what you're talking about, if I understand correctly, is applying computational um, algorithms that are able to piece together the X-ray into a 3D model. am Am I right in my understanding of what you just said or...? Am I totally off so correctly? okay,
2: let's be okay. Let's let not talk. All, all the, I will not take all the credit for everything. Uh, so computational methods, of course, computational tomography. People, you know, have been using for many years with X-rays, right? This is the CTs, right? Uh, what we do is, I think we, we have a method. What we propose, basically, here is a new method that can increase the contrast. So we, uh, in some sense, increase the sensitivity of the methods. and computational parts here is coming to save radiation, uh, and to make the measurement more efficient, basically.
5: So basically it's you're playing with the image itself and also how the image is taken. So the angles and the level of energy applied. Because I think there are so many variables within within the X ray apparatuses out there that you can play with, but I really don't think that they're actually being played with to the extent that they could be because well, it's this is what it is I mean whatever has has, the limits of research that we have we stick to it So there's not much exploration in that area if I understand it correctly so I think you are kind of pushing the boundaries there
2: well we're definitely trying to push the boundaries that is correct Um, we are not alone I mean for fundamental science there are many many different ideas Um, uh, you know and and, and, and the idea is you know right now it seems that to me one of the you know um, one of the things that uh, people uh, have not tried enough, is to really um, uh, take all the information that you can get from, from, the, from the x-ray scans. And that's what we're trying to improve. Uh, a lot of information, so we already, you know, shine your body with x-rays. So we, we know it's ionizing radiation, so it's better to make this type of, you know, uh, you make, it, it's better you, to make your measurement <laughs> efficient, if you already have to, to do that.
5: I think that'll be nice. You know, I mean, it. Uh, f- from one angle, I could see that this could lead to, uh, like, the benefits of your technology could be in in the ER. Like, when you go to the ER, like, if 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 there's an accident victim or something of that sort, right? Broken bones and whatever, vertebrae, etc. And if there is a more enhanced medical, like, imaging technology available, and and cost effective as well, then very quickly, especially in develop in developing countries, you you could get a I, I would say is as accurate a picture, perhaps, as an MRI, but at least something close to it. So I mean, like, it's all about diagnosis. So the doctor knows at least what whatever the hell's going on inside the whatever. So if you have a more accurate, your treatment methodology, whether it's surgical, invasive, non-invasive, et cetera, those decisions would tend to be more, perhaps, tailored to the need of the pa- patient. Yeah. you have like you've patented this or you this is or like you said that others are working on this with you or i mean like not with you but in general like right no no so
2: the, there are different type of new directions uh in science uh we are very at a very early stage we also look into this you know with this direction into this direction uh it's very early i have to be honest uh Unfortunately, people will have to wait until we really can come up with a real uh, machine that you can, you know, we can, uh, I don't know, we probably not, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a physicist, so I'm working in fundamental science, but I would love that people, you know, more engineering, engineers and people that really knows how to work on this type of machine will take our ideas and really uh, make device from them.
0: Hey,
5: hey, hello. Somebody may want to oh, Yeah,
0: hi. I, I have a question about, about your method. So I understand the x-ray fluorescence is basically mostly a surface uh, method because the, the x-ray fluorescence fres- actually here only a few ke- keV, so they don't penetrate that long. Uh, you mentioned the three D. Are you meaning that you, you wanted mapping the three D chemical uh, elementary uh, elemental uh, distribution of the surface?
2: Okay. Thanks for the question. I mean, yes, you're right. I mean, in this work, we we couldn't penetrate that much, but now we're trying. One of the efforts we're actually working on is trying to uh, working at you know, with the photon energy, they actually penetrate more inside. So the, the idea is probably more like to think about the, you know, three dimensional, ob- yeah, to see the surface of the object uh, uh, that's going to do to make the fluorescence, but they are going to be probably inside, you know, underneath the surface of an object um, that has lower absorption. And that's why the fluorescence can, you know, can emerge from the the entire object, so you know one example of this, you know, you think about, you know, as I think I try to mention, you know, if, if you think about the problem of the computational, you know, computer tomography, I mean, we can inject or other means, you can you, know, you can uh, inject, for instance, a uh, uh, kind of material like uh, iodine, and this iodine, you know, we just uh, goes and you know, propagate, you know, just through your uh, blood vessels. So if you want to see the, you know, the three-dimensional of the blood vessel, yes, the surface of the blood vessel, right? But this blood vessel is already inside the three, the three-dimensional three, three dimensional body of you, of the patient. So in principle, you can see exactly how the blood vessels are de- distributed in the body. And I think we can do it very efficiently. So this is kind of an example that I, I have in my mind, of what I mean by three-dimensional.
0: Oh, so you need a, <clears throat> like, higher, Higher energy than the iodine at the edge. Yeah. Then the, the the so that's like but iodine x rays like uh I mean. yeah. yeah. It's a, like it goes like a few millimeters before. Uh, I mean the in, in human body, how, how much? I, I don't remember exactly. Uh, a few millimeters of penetration. Depth.
2: I think slightly more than that, but yes, I mean that's a. Uh, in the human body, I think maybe, well, I don't remember exactly, uh, but I think it's slightly more than that, but it's not, yeah, it's not, the uh, it's would be iodine would be very difficult to do, you know, uh, uh, you know, the whole body, but you know, just, uh, beneath, uh, the, uh, the, the skin or just, you know, slightly more than that. Yes, you're right. The penetration, depth will be the limit. So if you use iodines, iodine, I don't remember, it's, I think it's a one or two centimeters, uh, But if it's less than this and but if not, if not iodine, you have other materials. uh, uh, Well, they will have to be non toxic of course. I mean, you cannot uh, you cannot uh, inject toxic, uh, you know, something which is toxic to the human body. But already people talking about, for instance, about uh, gold nanoparticles, this also could be a good candidate and gold will be much uh, higher photon energy and the penetration depth is going to be much greater. you know, uh, people already use barium, which is slightly higher than the iodine. You know, it depends. Well, exactly what the application that, and and the, exactly the area you want to look at. Frank, if
5: I may, I, I do am I am aware. I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong. I remember from my healthcare industry days that iodine was has been used for a, a long time, in X-rays to to get like more uh, phased imaging, of uh, tissues and blood vessels as well. Uh, on the other hand, barium has also been used uh, for uh, analyzing things like esophagitis and, you know, gastroesophageal reflux disorders. So different elements have been used to yeah, play around with uh, X-ray imaging. So iodine has been, I, I, in my opinion, I think it has been, in my, to my knowledge, it has been used for quite some time in in MRIs as well as X-rays. Yeah, yeah, I agree.
0: Yeah, iodine I, I is for for contrast imaging. Is
5: it, is it enough for
0: uh, for imaging uh, thyroid, like without uh, adding extra iodine? Can you say again? I mean, your thyroid has more uh, iodine, iodine, iodine concentration. Uh-huh. It's uh, close to sensitive. oh. You mean just? <laughs> like, do you do you think it's sensitive enough to to without adding um, contrast? Yeah you can imagine uh, organ like a thyroid that's
2: that's an excellent question uh i i i haven't checked <laughs> i i don't know i don't know that i don't know the answer um, yeah no i don't know but it's if if so it would be really great oh
0: i uh, also i i i i i, I read sp- uh, briefly so you are using uh, like like point detector only one element uh one pixel um how about uh do you uh, actually need a many uh move the detector to, to to image at different
2: locations so this is also possible and this probably even can speed up the measurement as well uh yeah i mean that's something that we actually considering so yeah
0: I, I didn't, I didn't get, I mean, I didn't read exactly. How, how do you, uh, what's the procedural steps? How, I mean, you have to, do, do, I mean, my question, how do you have to move the detector around the object? Oh, oh, that's you what know, you mean. You...
2: Uh, no, what we do, we do have this mask that we put before the object and we move the, the mask instead of the of the detector. Uh, detector just uh, collects all the fluorescence. The fluorescence is indirectional is non directional. So um, uh, it doesn't matter if you move it or not, as long as you can, as you, uh, you know, collect, your detector can collect, uh, a, you know, uh, the, the fluorescence. Uh, but we do, we do need to move uh, the, the the mask. And uh, that's probably take some time, but we can do it really fast.
1: Great, Thank, okay, you. thank so, you. Oh,
0: that—that's great. Uh, so, so how how about if we have a actually two D uh, detector? Does it help? I mean, helps, but but uh, it's uh, it's not that useful. I mean, one D uh, detector already good enough. I mean, not one D. One point, one pixel detector
2: uh for fluorescent basically there's no meaning of using uh, yeah i mean the, the the point the point detector or the the zero d detector is is, is good enough because because there's no the fluorescent will be to, to any direction so there's no really point in doing that as long as we're using this mask so the mask moves in, in 2d yes
0: okay yeah how many hours oh, but how many real realists I mean, yeah. do you uh, stop and shop and you need to uh, take many, uh, you know, papers? Yeah, you have some number, right? It's yeah. a few hundred.
2: So that's, yeah, that's exactly where the computational and compressive uh, sensing is coming into play. Um, there are many, many algorithms nowadays, in principle, without any tricks, uh, It actually quite long process for any pixel or pixel equivalent you will have to take one measurement but since we know how to play with these tricks with the compressive sensing uh, we can really uh, save uh, a lot of uh, measurements uh, the record right now not, not what something we shown in this paper but uh, the record from other other research is something about a compression of a factor of a thousand so uh, instead of doing uh, you know a million you know if you, if you if you need million a million pixels you would need a million measurements but uh, we can compress it to about a thousand. Uh, that's, uh, that's, that's right now what uh, can be done. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's the, it's, eventually this will be a limit of the method. You cannot do uh, as many as pixels as you want because your patient will not wait that much.
1: Great, um, the, we have um, been speaking for an hour. Um, Thank you so much for um, giving us the time and sharing your knowledge and your research with us. And thanks everyone for your questions. I really appreciate it and I hope you come back one day with more updates and uh, maybe projects to share. Thank you.
2: Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. Thanks again.
1: Great, Um, yeah. Um, Thanks everyone in the audience for being here and um, yeah, enjoy the rest of your um, evening, I think, <laughs> Dr. Schwartz. Yes, yeah. And uh, nice um, seeing you, everyone, and come back. And um, I'll close the room in three, two, one. Bye, everyone.